0: and welcome back to Tap Talks HR, the podcast for HR professionals. Well, I'm really pleased to say that we have with us today Megan-Marie Butler, who's rejoining us by popular demand. Hi, Megan. Hi, thank you for having me back. I'm bigging you up here, Megan. Um, Since we did our last podcast, we've had a fair amount of feedback about people being really interested in the area of AI in HR. And I know, uh, as, as I'm sure our listeners will recall, that you work with Cognition X, who are the AI advice platform, and you're doing a PhD at Lees University in AI and HR. Um, the thing that people have been talking about and asking us so much about is the three areas that you broke down AI and HR into can you just remind us what those three areas are?
1: Um, I do have to give credit. Uh, they did come from a gentleman called, by the last name Davenport, and he broke it down into, um, to, into automation, cognitive engagement, and cognitive insights.
0: And I think that's written, and I remember at the time when we recorded that, I was like, ooh, that's super interesting because suddenly in my head, this whole world of AI and HR turned into three discrete areas automating processes, um, getting technology talking to our employees to improve the employee experience, and also the cognitive insights, which is very much about using AI to process more data and find out the real underlying trends with people. So what I'd love to do today is to help out our listeners by kind of going through each of those areas, and I know probably the most time will be spent with cognitive insights, because I know that's the one, there's there's so much going on. So shall we start with automation, and do you want to just give us an overview of what's going on in the world of automation at the moment?
1: So automation, um, it, it's, it can seem a bit scary, but it's also very simple in a lot of ways. I think some of the things that are confusing people is there's a lot of talk about bots or robots in automation. And in our minds, we always kind of have this idea of a little mechanical man that should or a machine that should be coming in and we or like a robot arm or something like that and in automation when they talk about robots um it is a robot but it's a soft bot or a software uh software robot and it is it's like a giant macro so in excel some people know how to um, create macros and record and it kind of records just the process that a person would go through in the program and it's able to do that on a large scale with different programs within your computer so being able to do things automatically and it could be as simple as um, automatically responding to certain emails or um, adding somebody a new employee to multiple databases at the same time so that it's just kind of replicating processes that we already do and the more complex it means that we just need to know our processes well to be able to automate them and sometimes we do things without really thinking about it so it can be a bit of a challenge to realize that um, you know it it is a difficult process or quite involved process but yes we can automate it quite easily Um, and there and there's definite wins there but it's one of those things start small um, find a RPA provider so um, process, uh, robotic process automation. Uh, There's also desktop automation. There's a couple different versions of it. Um, Find a provider and they can help you get started. And uh, normally you can even sometimes download the software for free and play around with it on your computer and see what you can already do with it.
0: Because I I can imagine with uh, HR leaders out there, they're thinking, well, if I'm going to automate my HR processes my first line support kind of thing that's massive and and people could ask loads of questions and 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 do you ever see that people just do do get bogged down into the oh my god this is such a massive project because you were saying start small kind of thing
1: um that i think that's um an issue with people in general whenever we look at something we kind of think of the big picture, or we can go a bit too big with it, bite off a bit more than we can chew, um, or we see the end goal of where we want to be instead of thinking of just the little steps that we need to get there. And Sometimes to wrap our head around the technology and what we can do with it, and understanding how how to automate things, we just need to start, start with the small steps. So doing one process, uh, there's a great study out of Atos, um, they brought in some uh, automation, and they worked with employees within the HR department asking them, how can we automate, and they, and they led the directive themselves, and kind of, this is what I have to do daily, and they had a little bot, and they named it, and it started to do work for employees, and they were quite thrilled with it, and it, and it really changed how the HR function worked for them.
0: And I suppose it is. It's a bottom-up process, isn't it? Because actually, the best way of finding out what your bot needs to answer is go and ask your people what questions would you ask, or as you say in the HR department, what questions do you get asked, and, and map that out. And that is a starter.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's a great way. And that's a great lead into um, the cognitive engagement and starting off with chatbots. It's something that you don't need a chatbot that's going to answer every question perfectly right off the bat. Um, there's what we're kind of referring to as semi-off-the-shelf chatbots um, that already ca- sort of know uh, the standard types of questions or how people ask certain questions around, um, for example, in recruitment or within HR, um, HR help desk management type things. And from there, uh, if you already have your list of kind of commonly asked questions within your HR department, or even if you don't, you just kind of brainstorm and come up with them you can start to program the the chatbot and then you uh, and then the best thing to do is then release it to your release it to your employee release it to your employees and they'll ask questions and within the chatbots generally you'll see a little thumbs up or thumbs down and it's important that employees know that it's okay to use it that that's part of the training process um, and that when you'll very few employees will give it a thumbs up, unfortunately, so don't take it uh, take it to heart too often, you, but you will get the thumbs down and it will tell you that, no, it didn't answer my question. And an employee then goes in there about once a week and spends an hour or two, um, depending on how many questions you're getting, and starts to train it and starts to improve those answers and responses. So a lot of the companies are finding... Uh, when they initially release a bot um, and it's about a six-week process they're getting about 65% accuracy and they're able to get that up to about 80% within a few weeks just through testing and letting people use it and the biggest thing is is if you try and program it with all the questions you think people will ask those are probably not the questions they'll ask. A um, really great example comes from a company with job called out of Germany and um, they were working with one of the large banks in Germany and Um, traditional within the German culture is that uh, people wouldn't ask about wage or salary until they pretty much had the job. Uh, It was a very late stage issue to talk about. And they created this chatbot and all of a sudden some of the first questions candidates were asking before they even applied was, what's the salary? And so they're starting to see things that it's just like, whoa, Like no one's even asked that question before. Another really great one comes from EY. And uh, they, had, they created their chatbot, um, Goldie, and they released it to uh, part, as part of their onboarding process. And all of a sudden, people who were coming in to work for the first time the next day um, were getting into the chatbot and going, where do I park? Because, But it was something that they would have never have asked a person or known who to ask, um, and instead would have maybe struggled through it. But all of a sudden, there's that kind of when you're not quite sure. And, Um, that you're able to all of a sudden engage with this technology and ask questions. So it's best to just program it enough to get going and then let people ask questions and see what type of questions they're asking. Um, The other great advice that we did get with some people who've um, released it into their organizations, make sure it has a personality because people will ask it silly questions. Um, They will also say things like, I love you, will you marry me? Um, and they will also swear at it, so do have it programmed with a bit of chip chat and a bit of personality. But it it's what makes it fun.
0: That that that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you I mean, one of the obvious chatbots is out there is Amazon's Alexa and everything. And and I know that they've worked quite hard on making sure that there's some fun elements in there, kind of thing. And I think it, the closer you can get it to human with but still being open and honest, it's a chatbot. I think it's um, it does engage really well with the audience. It's uh...
1: yeah, it's, it's quite fun. And um, I was I was talking to a friend. Uh, so anyone who's um, aware or may not be aware yet, uh, Sophia the robot from Hanson's has created Little Sophia, and she she will have um, she will need to have chit chat because she's designed to work with children. And if we think about it, a seven-year-old child um, interacting with technology, it is going to ask silly and ridiculous things, the same as they would say to an adult, unfortunately, or fortunately. Um, but that's, and that's how we are, especially when we're talking. And we, we want the personality there. We want to have a bit of fun. And there's nothing more fun than asking your Alexa or your Siri, what's the meaning of life? Um, the best response I've ever had is chocolate. Chocolate is the meaning of life
0: which is obviously the correct answer. Exactly. exactly. It's it was very on. deep. It's moved on from 42 being the answer to like the yeah. and everything. So, and talking about moving on, let's move on to cognitive insights because I think this is potentially somewhere. Obviously, the other two help business and you'll get better um, employee experience and you'll get better processes and automation but cognitive insights really has the potential of radically changing how we make decisions about employees doesn't it?
1: Yeah cognitive insights is proving to be really interesting and there's lots of different ways it's being applied so um, one of the more common one common case studies that we kind of see is with ClearSights and their use of um, cognitive insights and using NLP and analyzing their employees to understand what's going on. So it's that deep understanding and applying it to different ways. There's other places where it's coming in as well. Um, candidate, um, candidate selection is definitely one of the big ones. What is traditionally based on a lot of gut feel um, th- and through some really, if you really kind of start digging into how we actually select candidates, It is quite a terrible um, process. I don't want to say terrible process because we've all done it. Um, I've done it myself. Where you look at somebody's CV, um, judge their personality based on it, judge their skills uh, based on it, judge their communication skills based on it. Um, And then from the CV, we pick up the phone and we maybe put them through a screening interview. We maybe have a face to face interview. the best ones are going to be a structured interview, but even then it's probably going to be unstructured even if we have a set questions to it. And if you look at it, the predictive, predictability of those methods are absolutely terrible. Um, but the problem is, is when we start using methods that are much more predictable of job performance and success within a specific role, it's quite difficult. So you're looking at understanding who's been successful, who's not been successful, why have they not, what can we link that to, to towards personality or mindset, um, competencies, soft skills. Those, see, those are very big challenges, um, even using psychometrics, uh, though they could be controversial, a lot of organizations use them. Um, It's expensive, it's time-consuming, it can have adverse impact on candidates, um, and you don't... To put a huge group of candidates through it is really difficult. And also, a lot of times, to interpret it, you need a person with an IO psychology degree to even do that, where all of a sudden we're having these technologies like game-based assessments, um, there's also other assessments out there that analyze the text. so answering a handful of questions, seedlings does this, it asks three questions, and you type in about 120 words. Um, And it's not about what you say, but the words you use, and it's able to analyze that and understand more about the candidate. And this isn't a selection process that's saying, hire this person. It's saying, these are the top 20 or 30 candidates that you want to speak to first. It doesn't mean that we don't need governance and we need to use other methods, but it will help give us more information and more data on on a person to help us understand who's going to be more likely to be successful in a role. And these are, um, and they're coming in in a lot of ways and we're also seeing it with engagement, we're also seeing it in learning and development. Um, so understanding what an employee wants to do in their career and, how, and what, uh, what their role is now, where they want to be, and now what skills do we need to develop in that person. And somebody who's in a junior role and somebody who's in a senior role and they both need to develop communication skills, the type of communication skills they need to develop are going to be very different. And this is where some of this AI um, is coming in and being able to make recommendations uh, very clearly based on a, a real per individual person. So this is where we're getting that hyper-personalized experience within an organization for employees as well.
0: It's, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's, what I love about it, it's not saying that it does, it makes decisions better than a HR director, for example, or a HR professional. It's very much saying, look, you've always wanted to really understand your people, but you've never had the time to do it. Because if you ask your 5,000 employees one open question, you've got 5,000 responses to read. And the trouble, the positive about humans, and the negatives about humans, is we have unconscious bias. And if you then start reading those 5,000 statements, you have a bias built in by the time you get to like the 100th statement. So what AI can do here is actually accelerate your understanding by going really deep but also taking out that unconscious bias as long as obviously there's no bias in the system when it starts <laughs> which i know is a totally separate subject um, but it's, it's it's really interesting i know when we think about diversity and inclusion i think there's there's possibilities that this is going to really radicalize the makeup of our our businesses because we'll be selecting people because of their capability and their skills and behavior rather than bringing those unconscious biases in that you were describing so well a few minutes ago.
1: Yeah, and, that, and that's a huge point, is that we are visual creatures, and when we think of, we need to hire a new uh, managing director, for example. Um, we've had images of managing director in our mind before, and we're gonna think of that, and we're not gonna think of the skills the person needs. We're gonna look at that image in our mind, because we have uh, that's what we associated with and this is where we get with children um, the big transition. I, I love this story because uh, quite a few years ago if you asked school age children to draw a picture of a scientist or a doctor it was most likely going to be a male and that's just that image we have in our mind where now um, the amount of children that will actually draw a female scientist has increased. Um, but we still have these images of what a managing director looks like so if everybody in their mind you know, we're probably most likely thinking of an older male. Um, and then when we hire somebody, we, we impact our decisions by that because somebody looks like something, but it doesn't mean anything about it. We can't judge a book by its cover. And as you as you really point out very clearly, AI is not making decisions for us. If we want AI to make a decision for us, we actually have to program that in. It's able it's using statistics and math at a high level and it is at a level of scale and it's helping us provide um, information about data that we couldn't otherwise um, have done ourselves without a ton of time or a little army of uh, mathematicians and not that many people are interested in math in this world unfortunately um, or fortunately maybe. <laughs> um, but it's giving us that, that um, ability and I think you really nailed it when you're asking 5,000 people and reading through it. Um, if you go to most PhD researchers who've done qual- qualitative analysis, they've had to code. And that's exactly what kind of the AI is doing in there when it does sentiment analysis. It's coding all the responses and even as a researcher, it's, ter- it's difficult to code. Um, and having a new place, your own bias on it as you're reading constantly, We ju- it's just a part of how we think. Um, we categorize things and it helps us understand the world. And it can be handy, but it can also be a hindrance. Um, and having AI being able to go through and code um, all of it without being tired, without thinking about the last one to make our decision about the next one without thinking oh I have 10 more to do and I only have a few minutes or let me just really plow through these last few before I get out of here or I'll just quickly get these done because I really want to go out for drinks with my friends or whatever it is we have so many impacts on our decisions as we go and when we look at a stack of resumes we do the same thing when we look at our first one and we look at our last one it impacts us And what's happening in our lives, how much time we have. So we're going to look at it and maybe we're going to look at it for a specific school or a specific role. Where AI all of a sudden takes that away and is able to do it faster than us, able to do it better than us, and is able to look at more information than we can. But it's not going to be able to tell you who to hire. That is always going to be our decision, and we need to, and we also need to remain in control of that. And as I say, we need to look at, um, but AI is going to help us kind of identify these are the top twenty that we want to call before somebody else gets them.
0: And I think that's the interesting thing, isn't it? Because uh, I mean, see these resumes—they're they're the things that, that we all know. You got about six seconds of reading for the, the recruiter mm-hmm. to as they're going through the pile, and actually that the, the AI can actually read the whole thing. And it's about getting that the best, diverse, most qualified people into that final cut I think is, is really important, it's not making the decision, it's still down to the hiring manager and everything, but you're making sure from that vast number of CVs where it's almost potluck if you got into the last six and we can go down the path of talking about the research about whitening CVs where Asian and black people have had to whiten their CVs to get to that last cut, you're removing that and actually giving everyone equal chance based mm. on their actual ability to make that final cut
1: yeah and, and it's even going beyond that you look at a company like Pitch Me they're recognizing that the CV isn't even a good way to look at people it's not actually able to tell your soft skills and your hard skills and they're coming up with a new way of doing that so it's and it's quite simple for the candidates, quite simple for the organization and they're getting a different picture. They're able to anonymize information in there so the um, so an organization can't tell your gender, which country you're from and I know being a foreigner in the UK I may visually fit in but my resume shows that I don't. Um, all of my education, a lot of my education and experience comes from Canada and I, as, as being the person here and having one of the first questions asked of me are you allowed to work here? Is it It really kind of just it really makes you step back for a second and realize what people are going through and that's exactly it where AI is, say, is able to kind of jump through those and say talk to this person and if there is a question about ability to work on requiring sponsorship let's talk about that later down the road but don't eliminate somebody because that's your question in your mind um, so it, it, is, it is changing things and I think the coolest thing is, is that being able to add in more information about a person. The CV is such a terrible one, and I think it's really fun if we come from a science perspective. We have like Hume who says, past performance can't predict future, we mm. can't predict the future, yet we do it constantly.
0: Yeah.
1: We use CVs <laughs> and past performance to determine how someone will do in the future. But we can do a lot better judgment around that if we add to our information beyond just CV and beyond just past jobs to look at actual skills, personality, and different things and what's going to make someone successful. And if we look at something like Arctic Shores, I love their product because they're not looking at whether you're good for a role or not. They're looking at what type of role will you be good in because somebody with a longer attention span may be very good at something that's much more detail oriented, where somebody with a shorter attention span will be better at something that's quick moving like sales or something like that so it's, it's about finding what's best for people um, but it does worry me sometimes um, this may age me in the wrong direction but the first episode of Futurama when Fry is unfrozen in the future and they do all these tests and tell him what job he was going to have um, I think that's we need to be careful of that as well, because people need to choose what they want to do as well and and, mm. and it doesn't mean we can 't change in some ways and learn and develop into new
0: roles. I can see a podcast coming on around AI and ethics in the future <laughs> at some point, but uh, as I had to say last time, we are totally out of time and and I love our conversations, Megan, and thank you very much, and I hope our listeners do too. I'm reeling from the bombshell that CVs are going to be a thing of the past very soon um, because how are we going to make up the fabrications about ourselves if we don't have CVs to do it with? It's, um, it's going to be a bit of a shock, really. We have to tell the truth now and everything. <laughs> so, Megan, thanks ever so much for your time. Again, it's been wonderful. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And everyone, thanks for listening in. Um, I really hope you enjoyed our second chat with Megan and uh, please do give us some feedback. This podcast directly happened because of your feedback so go and find us on tapsolutions.com and start a conversation thank you